sure do appreciate your faithfulness to be here tonight. If you would go to the book of Deuteronomy with me, the fifth book in the Old And uh, we talked about some of these initial things last week. It was uh, a new generation, a new possession that they were about to venture into. They had come to the brink of the Jordan River. That's where they are. And, um, and now are making plans and preparing to actually go in to possess the land. And so... Uh, if you'll find your place there, let me give you a, a passage uh, with which to go to. And uh, that's going to be in, let, let's go to, uh, let's go to chapter 12. All right, we're going to, we're going to, I take that back, let's go to chapter 6. Chapter 6. And, uh, and, and it's called, it gets its name, Deuteronomy All right, I'm on the air now. So just forget everything that I just told you. All right, no, I'm just kidding. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 6. But the word Deuteronomy means like the, uh, the second law or the giving of the law a second time. And we discussed at length about that because remember that for this first generation, remember because they, because they would not go into the land, they could not go in to possess it. And that generation, everybody from 20 years old and upward, was going to have to die. But there's a second generation that's going to come along. Their children, if you will, and grandchildren are going to come along. And they're going to be the ones to possess the land. And the difference between those two is those little kids and so forth that were born in that generation of 40 years that they were there in the wilderness did not have a Mount Sinai experience. They didn't, they didn't have all the something to see and something to hear, the rumblings and the, and all the things, the, the things smoking and, and carrying on. And I mean, it was done in a very audio and visual way. And, uh, and they didn't have that experience. And uh, what did they experience? They experienced this person, uh, you know, growing old and dying and that one and seeing the same land and wandering and living in tents and, and uh, I mean, a, a whole a different meaning to camping, all right, that they had experienced. And so this new generation is going to have to have the law, if you will, given to them again. And there's going to be some things about that. And so that's why, that's why the opening uh, chapters of the book of Deuteronomy are sort of a rehearsal of where they had come from up until this point. And, uh, and so I mentioned this passage the last time, but it's, it, it is significant. Look in Deuteronomy 6 with me, and, uh, and let's look in verse 4. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And, uh, and what you're seeing in that, this, this, I told you it had a name, and it's called the Shema. The Shema. And that's a significant thing for the nation of Israel. It still is for those Orthodox Jews, because this is something that they recall and recount 
And uh, in that, what it is stating is that that the, that the Lord our God is one, all right? And it's not necessarily talking about His unity. He's just one in all the universe. It's not unity, but it is His uniqueness, that there's no other God beside Him. There's none else like Him in all the universe. And He is singularly that way. And who is He? He is their God. And this was going to be something, it was a revelation to them. This phrase is like a revelation. And then verse 5 is given as their response. What are, how are they to respond to this very unique God, one almighty powerful God, that the word Jehovah there is being used. That's where you have capital L, O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the self-existent one, His his creative name. I mean, the power of God exhibited there in that name. And uh, and so how do they respond? Look in verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And the Lord Jesus is going to repeat this passage in the book, in the gospel of Mark in chapter 12 in verse 29 and 30. He's, it's where he's dealing with that scribe and he's going to add one more thing. The scribe is going to talk about this and he said, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you know, and, uh, and the scribe answered correctly or, or discreetly, the Lord Jesus said, and uh, in other words, intelligently, and he said, man, you have fulfilled all the law and the prophets. And uh, when you have done these things, because it includes, if you will, when you think about the, when you think about the, the quote, the Ten Commandments, the first four all have to do with man's relationship to God. No graven images, have no, have no other gods before me. Don't take the Lord's name in vain and so forth. All right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then everything else is all manward related. Thou shalt not, uh, thou shalt not steal, not commit adultery. Don't covet thy neighbor's wife, bear false witness. And the like, and so, and so, in between these two things, you have, if you will, you have all these things: loving the Lord, that's the first four, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. You would have fulfilled all the law in these things, and this is going to be a significant thing for them for this next generation. Because think about it: what kind of land were they going into? I'm not talking about the topography. What was the culture of the land that they were going into? Yes. Yes. And, uh, and uh, depravity. I mean, that's the reason why God said the land vomited them out. And that's, that's clearly indicated, if you will, in Leviticus 18, all the things that they were doing. And, uh, and he said, if you, if you do these same things, the land is going to spew you out just like it did these folks. And so now this, this, this verse, this truth, if you will, and, 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 and if you look on page, uh, if you look on page 18 of your notes, if you have one of those, I have a couple here. Um, if you don't have one, but there was but one God. Elohim is his name. All right. And, uh, and so this, this, uh, this God and so forth, this was going to be like a shield unto them against all the influences that they're going to come across uh, when they go into this land. I mean, they're, they're going to have all these different cultures that are there and the pagan religions and the different practices and so forth that are all going to be offered to them, that are going to be, if you will, trying to, to some degree, trying to proselytize them. And uh, and this was to be their shield and banner, if you will, 
as they were to proceed forward and to go forth in the land. And uh, and they were reminded about that. And so it was for them to have a God consciousness about who He is and what was their response supposed to be to Him. And it was a reminder for them because, you know, belief dictates behavior. And so depending upon what you believe is going to, is going to spell out or control in many ways how, how a people behave, how you and I behave, what we believe about something, all right? The truth about that or not. And so here, uh, th- this was given, I think, to sustain them, if you will, in this land of temptation that was going to be there. And really, you know, when you think about it, the first commandment here, to love the Lord thy God, I mean, that's the easiest commandment, is it not? It should be the easiest commandment to fulfill, to love the Lord. And how is our love expressed? Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what? You're going to keep my commandments. That's how, that's how uh, we express that in our obedience and so forth. And so here it's outlined for us. It's enumerated here. And this was something that they wanted their, their children to learn. It was something that their fathers were supposed to teach them. Teach them this truth. They were preparing this next generation uh, for, for, if you will, for the things and the people and the things and the events that they were going to experience. And I remember, how, how were they going to do this? They were going to be going to war. And if you recall back in Exodus, it says that the Lord didn't take them out this, the, the normal way, all right? Look in, look in Exodus 13 with me. Just pinch your place there in Deuteronomy. Go back to Exodus with me. Exodus 13. And look in verse 17 with me. Notice what it says. And it came to pass, and thank you for turning, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. In other words, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That's still true. And that way to go through the land of the Philistines, that was near to them. But notice what he says. For God said, lest peradventure, that means perhaps, lest peradventure, the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. They weren't prepared for battle. They, they hadn't grown enough. They hadn't learned enough about God and they hadn't learned enough about themselves. And so they needed to go through some boot camp. And again, I will say to you that going through the wilderness was a part of the will of God for them. It just wasn't the will of God for them to be out there 40 years. And so it was going to be a time of learning for them. And so now this new generation, the second giving of this law, is there now to reinforce. And remember we talked about there's a new relationship. It's going to be one of the times, one of the first times that the Lord says that He loves them. That your father loves you. They loved God loved your fathers. And because of this, he brought them out so that he could, he could bring them in. And so they were to keep this in mind. And, uh, and so again, as I say, how this relates to us, it's something that we should keep in our mind, a God consciousness about our walk. And don't we face many things today, man? You know, in a way, I, I, some people say, man, if I could just go back or whatever, I don't want to be a teenager again. I know you're not a teenager, sis. 
Uh, but my point is, I, I don't want to go back. I wouldn't want to go back. The way things are today, you know, I mean, the biggest deal for us in school was smoking in the bathroom, all right, and skipping school. That was the biggest deal. And, uh, you know, and today it's a lot different. There's a lot more pressure on young people today. And young people are emboldened, both boys and and girls, a lot more so than they were when... when at least where I grew up, uh, it was that way. And so um, I, I, I'm just saying, you know, and so this generation that's coming along now, they're going to have to have some things in their heart, just as we have to have some things settled in our heart. And they wanted that to be there and wanted their children to be taught those things from little on. Even the scribes that the New Testament mentions, they had the Shema as it's called, they had the Shema written in a little box, and it was kept either on their on their shoulder here, on their sleeve, near to their heart, or here in the frontlets of their head, in a, Scripture in a little box, uh, so that this might be upon their mind to influence their thinking. Now today, we don't have it in a box, but we have the Holy Spirit, amen, that lives within us to guide us, to comfort us, to correct us, to convince us, to caution us, all these things, to put us in remembrance of the things that we have learned, that we might walk in this world with that God consciousness, having that, you know, what, what I call... Not a military bearing, but a, but a Christian bearing. When I, when I was in basic training, one of the things they taught you was military bearing. You were put in a lot of pressure situations and you need to remember that you were an American fighting man. You need to have that about you, that military bearing that, you know, you braced up when you were supposed to brace up and you stood at ease when you were supposed to be at ease and you marched and you drilled and you did all these things because it was affecting the way that you were thinking. And that thinking and your belief affected the way that you behaved in those pressure systems or in those, in those events that put pressure on you as to what am I supposed to do now. Above all those things, you would remember that you were an American fighting man. And that was to help guide you. Well, as a believer, man, now I, I'm a Christian. And the Holy Spirit lives on the inside and I have the Word of God to help guide me. And that is to be that which gives me my bearing here like a compass. When you think about bearing, you take a bearing, right? You all know what I'm talking about? You take a bearing, a little sense of direction. I bet you, I bet your brother-in-law does that when he's on that submarine. If they get in there, they take a bearing where they are in relationship to something. We just look out across the, across the gunnels of the boat and we say, well, man, I'm a beam of this or I'm a beam of that. We don't actually follow a heading except you do in your, your GPS, but we strike out on that direction. And we have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to help us in that direction. Now, I know they had that pillar during the, during the day, you know, a pillar of fire at night and a, a cloud of the day to direct them and so forth. Well, today, you know, we, we've moved away from the, if you will, I'm going to say away from Casting a fleece or throwing a fleece. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, Lord, if it, you know, on a rainy, on a rainy night, let it be dry so I know what to do. Or Lord, on a, on a dry day, let it be wet so I know what to do. Those are sort of juvenile things. Now we have a Bible and the Holy Spirit that are to help us. And so, uh, and, and so here, they were to keep this first and foremost in their hearts and minds to help them as they were going to be facing these enemies. 
that were going to be all around them. And, you know, the, the New Testament says, basically, you know, it says evil communications does what? It corrupts good manners. Evil communications corrupts good manners. And, boy, we are living in a time of evil communications. There is way too much information out there, too much accessibility to it. TMI, too much information, right? You use those, those little abbreviations. There's a lot of stuff, man, we were just better off not knowing. And the New Testament said, Paul wrote to the Romans and said, you and I ought to be simple concerning that which is evil. To be simple. I, I'm going through the book again, 50 years in the church of Rome. And uh, when Chinaque was a young man and he was going to go to his first confessional, and he went to the priest, and man, he said, my whole mind was defiled by the things that the priest actually, in questioning me, what he taught me. And he said, I couldn't talk to my parents about it. I, I couldn't talk to anyone about it because he had so defiled my mind. Things that I wasn't thinking about as a young boy. And now this is what's on my mind. I, you know, that's that TMI, too much information. And uh, and so... Uh, They were to have this about them, to hold this about them, all right? And so this was a fact for them, that there's no other God like Him. And then they were to look at this truth. Go go back to chapter 4. He brought them out. Notice what it's... Actually, you're right there in chapter 6. Look at verse 23. I'll just use that one. Chapter 6, verse 23. Moses says, And He brought us out from thence, that He might bring us in. And that's what the Lord's done for us. He brought us out of the world. He brought us out of that old life that He might bring us in to some things. And uh, man, that's why, you know, aren't aren't you glad that He did that? You think about all the things that He put on our horizon since we got saved and what has been revealed to us about ourselves and about, in part, the way we were living and so forth and how that changed when we got saved. And really, you know, it is true. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's true. And uh, I mean, to the place I remember, and I've said this before, but I remember telling Debbie one time, you know, what have we been thinking about? You know, I was 28 and she was about 26 when she got saved. And, and, uh, and I, you know, what we had been married for seven years. What in the world were we thinking about all this time? And really growing up, what, we certainly weren't thinking about these things. And, uh, and so, and so this, this next generation is being introduced to these things. And so he brought them out and, uh, they didn't free themselves from slavery, right? They didn't do that. The Lord did that for them. And, uh, and, and he reminds them about those things. Look in chapter five. Look in verse 15 with me. Chapter five, verse 15. And he said, and remember, chapter 5, verse 15, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out. And I think it's important right there. He just didn't say the Lord God brought thee out. The Lord what? Thy God. That this, there was a relationship now. This was personal now. That he was their father, if you will, in that regard. And uh, had brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. And so it's a remembrance of these things. He did this for them. 
did it for them. And they were to remember that. He brought them out that he might brought them in. And 14 times in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to remind them by saying the word remember. And we're bad about forgetting. And yet we know the psalmist said that they did forget. They did forget. And, and you think, and you think about us. I mean, thank God he put the Bible, you know, written down that we're not having to pass it on from generation to generation. Man, I, you know, I, I have a memory foam mattress, but it hasn't helped my memory that much. All right. To try to remember all these things. Thank God. He, thank God he wrote it down that we could refer back to it. You know, when I was a controller, we, an air traffic controller, we had this thing. It was called the Controller's Bible. That was the, they coined that phrase. There was nothing scriptural about it. But it was full of, of terminology and phraseology all put together by lawyers. That should have been a, a clue for me. And it was called the 7110.65. I don't know if they've changed the name or not. And they didn't say you had to memorize it, but you better, if you, if you had a question, you better know where to look to find it. And I think it's great to hide the Word of God in my heart. I haven't memorized all of it, I confess. For those of you that have, I haven't memorized all of it, but you ought to be able to look it up and know where to find an answer and how to use it. Amen. And so, and so they had, they, they didn't have that per se. And so they had these things word of mouth. And this is how they were going to learn as they sat around a campfire and fathers were teaching sons and, and daughters, if you will, in that time. All right. And so they let, he was going to bring them out so he could bring them in. Blessings were just ahead for them. Look, look what it says. Uh, at, look at verse 22. And the Lord showed signs and wonders. I'm in chapter 6 now. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household. How? Before our eyes. What was he doing? He was revealing something about his power over the natural and over the supernatural. The Lord Jesus did the same thing, man, when he calmed those seas there, because it was easier to calm the seas than it was the sailors. Amen. They were, Lord, uh, carest thou not that we perish. And so he calmed the storm and he upbraided them a little bit, O ye of little faith and so forth. But he showed them and they marveled at those things because they'd never seen anybody do that. And, uh, and so here, uh, he's going to bring them in. And, you know, again, I've said this back at the beginning when we started some of this. Canaan land is not heaven. They're battling and fighting there. All right. There's a war to be waged there. But it is a part of the life that you and I can enjoy here that they were to enjoy. A land that was filled with milk and honey. Fruit that they had to bear out between two on, on a, you know, a huge cluster of grapes and so forth. And, uh, and so the, the, the point is, is that, uh, that we're, we're not going to be battling there, but we are battling here. We deal with, with our three enemies, the internal one, the infernal one, and the external one, right? The old nature, that internal one, the infernal one is the devil and his imps, and the external one, that's the world. Constantly battling, struggling, and they were facing these things. Facing these things. And uh, and so, you know, he made a promise to their fathers, and God never goes back on his word. You know, one of the, you know the word immutable in your Bible? From the book of Hebrews, he's immutable. He's the God that cannot what? 
cannot, well, and immutable can't change, but he's the God that cannot lie. Doesn't lie. He said, I'm the Lord, not, and he change, I changeth not. All right? And so, uh, he does not mutate. He does not, he's not moody like that. And so, so these were some truths that they were going to have to embrace. All right. And so, and then there, so what is he expecting from them as they approach this land? Look in chapter 10 with me. Look in chapter 10. And look in uh, verse 12. Chapter 10 in verse 12. And he says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? And here he gives it to them right off. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all all thy soul. This is a reference back to that Shema, which was given in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. But here, I want you to notice something, but to fear the Lord. And that word fear there is not the same fear that's used in other places. Look, look in, keep your place right there. Look at just one chapter over. Look in verse 25 of, of, of Deuteronomy 11. Verse 25, Deuteronomy 11. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall, shall slay uh, the fear of shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. the The word fear that's used here means a terror, a dreadful terror. The word fear that's over here in chapter ten. And what he says, but to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all his ways, that fear is the word for reverence, to be held in awe. They weren't to dread the Lord. They weren't to be in terror like he's just waiting to kill me. No, they were to hold him in reverence. And each time you go through, just do a little word search at home if you have a concordance on your computer or look it up if you have a Strong's, if you've got the book and so forth to do that. Look it up and look up the meaning of those words. The word fear translated here and so forth. One of these has to do with reverence and the other one has to do with literally a terror, a dread. And the Lord said, when you go into these lands and you're going to fight against these people, they won't be able to stand before you because I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to lay the fear, your fear upon them. And they're going to flee from you and so forth. That was God's doing to melt the hearts of those that were around them. But they were to hold God in great reverence and awe. You know, and, and I think about this a little bit kind of like, how, you know, how the fellow that was handling dynamite the very first time, you know, when he got on the job. You know, I, I remember, you know, as a, in, again, in the military, as a weapons mechanic, we had to go out and they gave me a choice when I was in basic training. They said, you can be an EOD or you can be a weapons mechanic. And I didn't have any idea really what either one was. But I said, what is EOD? And he said, well, basically, he said, if we drop a bomb out there and it doesn't go off, you have to go out there and find out why. And I said, well, then you better make me a weapons mechanic. 
But EOD was a great job. Two years of schooling, Brother Roger. You, had to go, you got to go to Annapolis, learn all about naval, uh, underwater. I, I would have loved the school. And, uh, and if they told me it paid $50 more a month, I'd have taken it. But uh, hazardous duty pay is what it was. No, brother. Yeah, they they teach you how to do that, but uh, but still, I, as a weapons mechanic, I loaded I loaded munitions that were that were very volatile, napalm and nuclear weapons and white phosphorus and all those things. And I remember, you know, handling fuses. You know, a little bit like you look a little bit like Barney Fife. You know, <laughs> putting that in there. You know, the first time. And, uh, and you think about it, when, when you got saved in truth and you were handling it, man, there was, there was, probably, there was an awe and a reverence about it. When you were hearing these things, when you're reading, now you're saved and you understand. You know, like the guy that handles the dynamite, these people that are in explosives and they do these things for a living, demolition teams and so forth. I suspect the first time they handled blasting cap and cordite and and, uh, the dynamite and what they were doing, that they probably were a little tentative with it. They were probably a little more careful. You know, they didn't want anybody popping gum and stuff. No, hey, be serious here, you know. Why? Because they were probably a little nervous about it, being very careful. But the seasoned guys are like, oh, man, no problem. Throw that over here. Let me have that, man. I need this. You know, and we don't ever want to become that way about our God. That we get so accustomed to things, if you will, that we treat holy things lightly. Kind of like what Yuza did with the ark. Remember, it was in that new cart, and he put his hand up as if he was going to help stable it, to stabilize it, and he died right there. And so... To have that reverence, you know, to have that awe and that respect. The scripture says that, that this is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1, 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom, a reverence. In other words, recognizing who he is. And he wanted that to be foremost in their minds. And he had manifested so many things for them in what he did as he took them through the wilderness they might not lose that awe, if you will. And I think that's part of the reason why we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, that angels were there when the Lord Jesus, at his, when he was buried, they were there at the tomb for his resurrection. But if you remember, they were also there at his ascension. And uh, now remember, angels get to see things and move in and out uh, between the two worlds, the visible and the invisible world, and they're accustomed to seeing things, and if you will, probably the majesty and power of God. But they were just sort of, they were just sort of, they were just, It's the Scripture says gazing. What I think they were doing, they were like, I, I think they were sort of froze. You know, the, the, he had already appeared. You don't come through a wall and maybe disappeared the same way. Walked on water, came to them during those times. I mean, did some unusual things, saw the dead raised and, and, uh, and things that responded to it, like the storms being come. But they'd never seen anybody like go up in a cloud, you know, to, to overcome gravity. The very laws that he instituted. And went up, and they were they were struck by that. And the angels like, like, what are you guys looking at, man? Don't you know the same Jesus coming back the same way he went out? Like, get over it, man. You know, 
They were accustomed maybe to seeing things like that. But they were not. And beloved, we should never take those things for granted about our God and what He's able to do and, uh, and, and, and do through us in some ways. And so, so they, their requirement, they were to fear Him, they were to obey Him in, with loving obedience, not because they had to, if you will, in that sense, but we get to, all right? And, uh, and to, uh, because obedience is that flip side of faith. You know, it's like that, the kid's song, the best way to show that you believe is obedience. You remember that? O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. The very best way to show, it is the very best way to show that you believe. And so they, they were to do these things, all right? And do them from their heart. And so, um, and then serving him. They were, they were in debt, if you will. They were to serve him. Why? Because, because of what he had done for them. He delivered them out of bondage. Paul likened his, himself. He said, you know, that I'm a, I'm a debtor unto all men. He was a debtor. Paul realized that he was in debt. And, uh, and so did these things. And so service was to be from their heart and not just from their head. And so too it is for us and for this generation that was going to move in, all right? And so go with me, go with me to chapter 27, all right? And we're going to come to where, uh, almost to the end. So there was some truth for them. There was a requirement, a basic thing, and there were going to be some choices. You know, chapter 27 and 28 in particular covers the two mountains. You have Mount Gerizim and you have Ebal. Did you visit those, Brother Roger? Okay, I'm sorry. I understand, Brother. I I understand. I, I I didn't see you bring a newspaper in. I understand. It's okay. But did you did you visit Gerizim and Ebal? Could you see it? Okay, uh, because in between that's where Shechem was, and we know that Shechem is an area that some of the men of Shechem. It's a valley that's in between these two mountains there, in and around that area, and uh, and so they were they were to get on this mountainside, and so look in look in chapter seven chapter twenty seven. And, and look in verse 11. And it says, And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when ye are come over Jordan, Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Joseph and Benjamin. Now understand something. They hadn't got there yet. They weren't at the mountainside right now. He's just telling them about what the Lord told him to tell them. That when you get there, I want these sons, if you will, these are going to be so, these are going to be Jacob's sons. I want them there. Uh, Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Joseph and Benjamin. And these are the children, if you will, of, of, uh, Rachel and Leah. And he wants them on Gerizim. That's the mountain of blessing, the mount of, e- and look at verse 13. And these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad and Asher, Zebulun, Dan and Naphtali. And these are going to be of, uh, of, of Bildad and, and, and uh, oh, I can't remember the other names off the top of my head right now, but the handmaidens that they used, so that some of them used to conceive, particularly for Rachel when she wasn't able to. Because remember, they each wanted what the other one had. One was loved and the other one had kids. And that wasn't enough for either of them. Okay, Rachel was loved but had no children. Leah had children but wasn't really loved. She was the tender-eyed one, remember? 
And I don't really know what that means, ladies, and I'm not going to venture out, okay? And uh, tender-eyed. I don't know if that was like, she hurt your eyes to look at them, made them tender? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but nonetheless, all right? And so uh, Ebal speaks of barrenness, all right, and the curse. And so, uh, and so there were going to be these plastered stones, and the law... If you will, the Torah was going to be put there. Those, the, the Decalogue, those Ten Commandments was going to be there. And basically what it was coming down to, there was going to be a choice. You could either walk with God and enjoy the blessings of God, or you could go against that and suffer the cursings of God and suffer the hand of God against us, against them in those days. And so, and so, uh, and so he brings them there to these places, or if you will, tells them, that this is what they're going to do when they when they get into the land. And it does take place in the book of Joshua, all right? And so they were to choose between serving the Lord, and uh, and if they were not going to do that, then the curses were going to be mentioned. And so and so look at these. Uh look at let's let's look at these for a moment. Uh the blessings that were theirs in chapter 28, all right? Notice what it says, and it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And it seems like as I look at these things about what would happen, they were going to be blessed in so many ways that this also is a picture, if you will, of the blessings of God and the judgment of God. And man, when you think about what's happened in our own nation, how you make this apply a little bit to us, that we're really under, in many ways, under the judgment of God. Isaiah 3 also conveys some of these, these truths to us. And so, and, and so, here, notice what he says. Look, look in verse 2. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed thou shalt be in the city, and, and blessed you'll be in the field, and blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of the ground, the fruit of their cattle, the fruit of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. I mean, man, they were just going to prosper. God was going to see to it that everything they put their hand to, it was going to multiply and multiply and multiply and the blessings were just going to keep coming. Notice what he said, verse 7, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. He's telling them in advance of what's going to be happening in the, in the land when you actually go in to possess it. If you walk with me, I'll take care of these, I'll take care of these folks for you. They won't be able to stand against you. And, uh, and he said, They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee in seven ways. I mean, what that tells me is, man, they weren't even going to make an orderly retreat. They were just going to... Kind of like roaches do when you turn the light on, all right? They scatter, man. They don't march out of there together. They just take off. You know, I was in this house once, and I was getting ready to make a patient, and I, I saw they had little chucks on the ground where their dog had used them, and I'm trying to dodge those things. And as I'm going through the bags and all, and I look, and I see there's this dog food bowl over here, and it looks like it's about half full of dog food. And I wonder, man, what kind of dog, you know, all these, and where is the dog? I'm looking for that. So when I stepped a little more and I caused a little vibration, that dog food all came alive. I came in one way and they scattered seven. <laughs> it was all roaches. 
That's what that was in that bowl. I didn't have really inspect it. When I, came. I just thought I would leave you with that little tidbit, all right? And I had to brush the bugs off of her before I could put the forelead on. All right. Now that I got your thinking, right? So all these blessings, these blessings were going to be theirs. And, uh, and, and look at verse 10. This is an important passage. Because remember, God didn't call them out because they were the biggest, remember? He didn't call, he didn't, he didn't call upon them. He didn't, wasn't going to use them because they had some special thing about them. They were the smallest of people. But notice what he says, look in verse 10, I'm in 28. And all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. My thinking here is that here was their opportunity to glorify God to the world that then was. Just like I think what the Lord did for Nineveh when they repented in sackcloth and ashes, He had mercy on them. Had some of these nations, when they heard and so forth, had they repented, had they yielded and recognized Jehovah, that He may have had mercy on them. I mean, He is that, remember, He's that God that keepeth covenant and mercy even to, this, even to the stranger in the land. Had they done that, and this was an opportunity for them to glorify the Lord. And they shouldn't fail in that, all right? Verse 12. And the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto the land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Gosh! Anybody know what the current debt is in America? It's, I, I don't know. You can't, you can't keep up with it. I mean, it's like, I don't know how many trillion the deficit you know, and probably in the time I've been standing here, it's probably, I mean, it's probably been a few more, uh, a few more million dollars in interest that's being compounded on this. Um, America was, used to be at one time, was the lender. And now we're the debtor nation. And a lot of other countries own parts of us that we, you know, you know China owns a lot of the things that are here in the land, some of you guys that are in business and so forth. I mean, some of the things that belong, that were, that were formed and founded here, have been sold. Uh, you know, it, it amazes me. I, I don't care for basketball anyway, but it amazes me that how much they've gotten into the NBA and how they own these players and the way that they behave and the things that they say and the things that they do. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? It's true. And so that they were to be the head and not the tail. The head and not the tail. And uh, and look at verse 14. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and do all his commandments and his statutes, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And then he's going to go on and list all these things that would befall them, to not to choose to not serve him. Choices have consequences, beloved. 
And it's true for our day as well. Choices have consequences. And you and I need to make good choices, biblical choices, biblical decisions that, that may mean, hey, get some godly counsel, search the Scriptures, and certainly, certainly bathe that matter in prayer. Ask somebody that you know to pray that can, that can keep your business, your business. If you want to get them involved, ask them to pray with you about this. Maybe even pray and fast about it. That, that, you, that you make your decisions biblically based and, and not emotional. All right? Not sensual where your frustrations or your feelings get involved, your fears get involved but to trust the Lord in these matters. Because, you know, in some of these things, we, you know, we are cursed. Uh, I, I have said this before. I remember when we went to, uh, in the Gulf War, and, you know, and supposedly Saddam had that million-man army and all that kind of stuff. I was really concerned about how things were going, you know, how we were going to do and the like because of the condition in America. But the thing that brought hope to my heart was when the fact when they put those Patriot missiles on Israeli territory. And, they, and that was the first time that ever happened. I thought, well, man, thank God for that. You know, that verse in, Je- in uh, Genesis 12 and 3 is still there. I will bless them that bless thee and I, I will curse them that curse thee. And I thought, well, man, there's a chance for us and uh, and the like. And so... Uh, here we basically come to the end of the book, and I'm come to the end of my time, all right? And so you can look at these things. There's some things that you could look at. How Moses charges Joshua in chapter 31, his song about God, and then, you know, the, 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 uh, the blessing of Moses on the tribes, and then his death on Mount Nebo. You know, and nobody knows, nobody but the Lord knows where that is. And... Uh, and so that's why some people, that's why some people refer to the book of, uh, the book of Revelation. We're talking about prophecy and things. The two witnesses that get up, one might be Elijah and the other one might be Moses. And uh, that's just somebody's supposition, all right? That's their guess. But, uh, but the book of Deuteronomy, and it's, a, it's an excellent book in that it reminds us of many things about, about, again, about the choices and about the direction that we as a people head today and what really, what really is first and foremost in our hearts and minds and, uh, and, that, and that we put the things of God first. And had they done that, it would have been a different story. And they start off that way. And we'll see that in the book of Joshua where some of the things that are told here are going to unfold in the book of Joshua as they take the land. And the book of Joshua is really about the victorious Christian life and all the things that we see there, not leaving kings in the cave and, and uh, doing battle and how things get done. All right? Any questions about this? Well, thank you all for being here. And... Uh, I hope that it hasn't been dry for you and that, uh, and that you might see, maybe renew some things, envision some things for yourself and the choices you make and the directions that you're going to go in, all right? And so let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the precious Word of God and thank you, Lord, for being our God and our Father. Thank you for our salvation tonight, Lord, and through our, 
our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how He ever liveth to make intercession for us now. Thank You for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that lives within us, that we don't have to have a pillar. Lord, we have a person on the inside to guide us. And I pray, Father, that You'll bless our people now as they make their way home. In Jesus' name, amen.